0: Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Anybody tuning in for the first time at home? Welcome. We have a um, tradition of uh, introducing ourselves to each other. I'll give you a little topic in a moment with the intention to this be a place to build community. And there's something about meditation groups. If you just come and meditate and listen to a talk, it's hard to get to know each other and... Um, one of the Buddha's core teachings, core uh, missions, I think, of Buddhism is to develop friendships and community and support what we call Sangha with other practitioners, other people who are uh, committing to this, this way of uh, training our minds through meditation and uh, developing renunciation, what we call ethical conduct, sila, and and wisdom. And so we need to do that in community with each other. And so... Um, Sometimes I have a topic, you know, tonight I'm going to do an overview of the Eightfold Path. I've been um, talking about the Buddha's life story and then his experience of awakening and then his uh, original teaching, the Four Noble Truths Eightfold Path. And we did the first three and we're on the fourth tonight, which is the Eightfold Path. And I'll do a full overview tonight and then over the next At least eight weeks, maybe more, uh, we'll go through each factor of the Eightfold Path uh, one by one. You can break the Eightfold Path, and I'll talk about this tonight, but just as an intro, you can break it down into three sections. Um, Meditation, which is a lot of the reason why we gather to meditate both mindfulness-based meditations, concentration-based meditations, the heart practices, compassion, forgiveness, loving kindness. Ethics, the renunciation of uh, creating negative karma for ourselves, the intention to not cause harm to ourselves or to each other. Uh, sila, what's the renunciation in ethics? And then wisdom, um, and wisdom is understanding the reality that we live in. Um, and and trying to live in harmony with the reality of things like everything's impermanent. So if you really get everything's impermanent, you stop clinging, right? So every time we're clinging, we're attached, we're trying to control, manipulate, uh, avoid, suppress, medicate our experience. We're not in harmony with uh, impermanence. So part of the wisdom that the path leads to is the understanding everything's truly impermanent nothing is worth clinging about clinging to nothing is worth suffering about a lot of things that are worthy of meeting with compassion and with forgiveness and with um but nothing is worth suffering at suffering about it takes a while to get to that kind of wisdom but that's the ultimate goal of buddhism the the wisdom of non-suffering last week we talked about the potential of liberation, of freedom, of, not, of ending suffering, the third noble truth. If you think about your own spiritual life, if you feel like you have a spiritual life, spiritual practice, meditation practice, uh, engagement with Buddhism. Some of you are a bit new to Buddhism and you're like, what the fuck is he talking about? Some of you have been around and you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. That's the sila, samadhi, panya, ethics, uh, meditation, wisdom. But if you think of just of these three words, ethics, how committed are you to ethical behavior, ethical speech, ethical action, avoiding unethical, which means unkind, dishonest, uh, harm, intentionally harmful actions how committed are you to ethics in your life to consciously and intentionally being careful with your speech with your actions with your livelihood your relationship to money to sexuality the activities of our life how committed are you to meditation and you would think that sort of ethics and meditation go hand in hand but uh, they actually don't. There's a lot of people who are serious about meditation and are not even trying to be ethical. There's a lot of people that are very committed to being ethical, careful of their speech, their actions. They don't meditate. You know, this is one of the you know places where the Buddha says both and ethic, renunci- ethical renunciation. And wisdom will only come through a deep meditative uh, awakening, awareness. All right, now it's too cold, huh? (laughs) Too hot, too cold. Just right.
1: It's
0: that uh, Goldilocks zone. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm too cold, so would you turn? Sorry, Brian. Tara, thank you, Tara. Or even wisdom, I feel like we can't have true wisdom without a deep meditative practice. Like you can read the books, you can have the knowledge, like how many Buddhist books have you read? And you know all about emptiness. You know all about impermanence. You know all about the importance of compassion. And you, you, you know, you've read about being a bodhisattva, right? You, you, not, you know about it because you read the fucking books. <laughs> I heard it, I read about it, I've listened to the Dharma talks, uh, but it's not wisdom if it's not an embodied experience, not just a, a, an information that our mind is holding, but an embodied experience, actually the ability to be compassionate, the experience of letting go of not suffering, wisdom, um, not karma as a, an idea but karma as something that you're interacting with. I'm being careful with my speech, my actions, my livelihood, my relationship to money, sex, power, whatever it is. I'm engaging with it, not theoretically, but uh, deeply. So if you think of your own place where you're at and uh, what are you focusing on? Your meditation, your ethics, wisdom? I feel like wisdom is something we can kind of focus on, but it's sort of the fruition. There is something to understanding theoretically what it means to uh, understand impermanence, but it's the meditation that's really going to reveal a wise relationship to impermanence. You can't think your way to enlightenment. But the trained mind, meditation, training the heart and the mind will give you that direct experience eventually.
2: Hopefully.
0: So what are you working on? What are you focusing on all, hopefully all three, but like, you know, where's where's your strengths and weaknesses? We all have strengths and weaknesses. You know, some of us are like, I fucking meditate every day and I lie. (laughs) And some of us are like, I never lie, hardly ever meditate. You know, and just kind of looking at that without any sort of self-judgment, just the discernment, the awareness of self-analysis, self, uh, you know, where where's the weak spots in my path to freedom? Is it around ethics? Is it around meditation? Is it around wisdom? So find some strangers and uh, tell them about your failures, your spiritual failures,
1: <laughs>
0: what's challenging. <laughs> I don't know how many of you feel like those kind of icebreaker kind of forced conversations um, don't feel like they're part of why you came here um feel like it's some um, sort of inconvenience or something i know some people like it some people are kind of like oh yeah the, the extroverts who are like oh cool i get to get some attention, talk about myself. And,
1: <laughs>
0: and some of the introverts who are like, I love meditating. Don't,
1: <laughs>
0: don't I come here so that I don't have to, I want to go inward, hurry up and shut up.
1: Um,
0: and I don't know that I do the best job. I sort of just throw you in, but framing it of like, this is a central part of Buddhism, connecting with each other talking to each other, listening to each other. It's not just getting really good at being silent. Getting really good at being silent and our uh, awareness of our interior and our, our how our mind works and our emotions and the meditative practice is uh, necessary and it's so key to what we're doing. But it's all in service of how do you listen to each other? How do you talk to each other? How do we show up? It's all relational. And so, you know, you come to a meditation practice, and if you don't have any relational interactions, you're sort of being cheated out of uh, a core part of, of the experience, which is how do I show up in awkward conversations and talk about my practice and, and listen to other people talk about their practice? And uh, and it's, a, it's mindfulness, mindful listening and mindful speaking and and it gets so fucking loud, right? And then you can be like, oh, that's unpleasant. I got really loud in here. Uh, and then that's mindfulness of unpleasant. Um, you know, and then there's all of the people at home that uh, some of, you know, it looks like there's 50 people at home and 15 of the 50 don't go into the breakout groups. They're like, oh, I don't have to. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't have to. And, you know, and then that's your practice of like, okay, I'm choosing to abstain from talking to people in zoom breakout rooms or, and you get to sit with that and, uh, or the people that do talk to each other, you know, of kind of like, Ooh, um, did you get your time? You know, all of that. I hope I'm making sense that all of it is our practice. And ultimately when it comes to mindfulness, when it comes to our spiritual life, Everything in our life is our spiritual life when you're practicing mindfulness. There's nothing outside of the possibility to be awake to, to be mindful of. Every activity, every communication carries karma with it. Do you know that? Every single communication, intentionally communicated, including And we'll get into this when we get into right speech, but including like um, expressions, including like some kind of even, you know, like posture. Like, what are you communicating by your fucking (laughs) attitude? All of it is communicating something. And all of our intentional communications have a karmic momentum. And so we're trying to uh, learn how to communicate with each other in a, in a wiser way, in a kinder way, in a more honest and open and vulnerable, also vulnerable way, rather than trying to, uh, hopefully Sangha, my, my hope is that Sangha is one of the places where we can take off the masks and even the I'm spiritual mask and to just be authentic. And really the intention is to, can we just show up and be Uh, honest with each other, even in our uh, moments of unskillfulness, rather than always putting on the the, um, front. So we'll talk more about that after the meditation. We'll have a period of meditation, about 30 minutes. So find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed, find a posture, Where your spine is erect, upright, but not stiff, the body not rigid. (laughs) Allowing your eyes to be closed. Taking a moment to intentionally release any unnecessary tension. softening the face, the brow, the eyes, the jaw. Shoulders falling away from the ears towards
2: the earth. Chest
0: open, belly soft, as soft as it can be. You notice tension in your stomach as you exhale See if you can soften your belly
2: with each exhale, letting go, softening.
0: And establishing an inner intention to be kind and patient, to be friendly and accepting of your experience. As we establish mindfulness, present time, non-judgmental awareness. And There's no right way to experience the mind and the body. Just experiencing it as it is. Not trying to get rid of
2: thoughts. Not trying to get rid of pain. But turning towards to pay attention to
0: the heart, the mind, the body. With whatever mind states, whatever sensations, whatever emotions present themselves. Buddha's initial meditation instruction was finding a place to sit, establishing mindfulness in the body. Breathing in, one knows, I'm breathing in. Breathing out, one knows, I'm breathing out. Giving our full awareness to the sensations of the breath. For a few minutes, letting everything else be in the background. We're not stopping the mind from thinking, but we're trying to stop
2: being involved in the thoughts, bring the full awareness to the breath.
0: Of course, our awareness is drawn back into thinking over and over. So it takes some effort to consistently disengage from the thoughts, come back to the body. Present time, awareness of sitting, breathing. Knowing that you're breathing
2: in, knowing that you're breathing out. Mindfulness of the breath. From this narrow focus
0: on the breath, we begin to expand to become more open and inclusive, the whole body, all of the sensations head to toe. The quality of investigation, using your mind to think about, what am I feeling right now? What sensations are present in my fingers and toes?
2: Arms and legs? Opening to the sense doors and the
0: emotions. Sounds, mindfulness of hearing and seeing, smelling and tasting. this body and all of the ways that it knows the world. Rather than ignoring the mind, bring your awareness to the mind. What's your mind
2: doing? What's it thinking about? What's present in the mind? Is it craving, aversion, hope, fear, plans, memories? <clears throat>
0: Investigate the impermanent nature of whatever it is you're paying attention to right now, whether it's the breath, a sound, a thought,
2: an emotion. How is it changing moment to moment?
0: present time, non-judgmental, investigative awareness with an attitude of accepting whatever's happening moment to moment. Intention to be friendly and kind towards the unpleasant experiences, meeting them with as much compassion as we can. The intention to let go of anything we're clinging to, trying to keep, trying to hold. Let the emotions come through, let the thoughts arise and pass. Let the sensations
2: be present. with
0: awareness, with kindness, with acceptance. Right now, it's like this, these sensations, these emotions,
2: The last couple of minutes of the sitting,
0: turning towards compassion, breathing in the truth of the pain, the suffering, the difficulties in your own life, breathing out compassion, friendliness, forgiveness towards your own pain. And extending this compassion to the people sitting next to you, the people that you spoke to tonight in the groups, the people in the community. Breathing in their pain, their suffering, their difficulties. Breathing out compassion,
2: friendliness. Mercy, forgiveness to them. And expanding this
0: breath of compassion, intention of compassion outward in all directions to include all living beings opening to the suffering on this planet, the confusion, the ignorance, the greed, the hatred, the delusion.
2: The willingness to breathe it into the compassionate heart. And to breathe out forgiveness and mercy, compassion towards all living beings.
0: did you get cold yes you're welcome it wasn't intentional but it is a big part of what we're doing is learning to be uncomfortable just sitting still is uncomfortable being temperature is such a great opportunity for checking out our relationship to pleasant and unpleasant and how quick we are to throw on a blanket, throw on a uh, jacket, you know, as soon as we're a little bit cold, or how quick we are to take it off as as soon as we get hot. And this illusion that it gives us of um, control, being able to control, oh, I can avoid unpleasant, I can create pleasant all of the time, which when it comes to temperature lane, you know, it's why we have air conditioning, like you want to have some climate control and um but ultimately it can create this habit of always trying to be comfortable which is fucking impossible if you haven't noticed it's just impossible to always feel pleasant and never feel always have that exact right 71.5 degrees or whatever your comfort zone is 75 whatever it is but we can turn the AC off, please. Thanks, Tara.
1: <laughs> but
0: it is a good opportunity, you know, when it's on and it's not, you know, we're sitting there and. Okay, so back to back to the story of um, and trying to imagine where we've come in the story these last three months, which is Siddhartha leaves home, he goes out to seek enlightenment, he meets a bunch of gurus, he thinks that their teachings are limited, he practices asceticism, he discovers mindfulness through his own investigation, mindfulness leads leads him to this awakening, he's not sure what to do with the awakening, He finally decides, okay, I'll try to explain it to my friends who were also practicing asceticism with me. He finds his friends out, you know, walks for days. I think I used the example of like, if you got enlightened in Venice, but your friends were in San Francisco, and you're going to walk to San Francisco to go find your homies and give them a Dharma talk, give them a good lecture on awakening. So he walks from Bodh Gaya to uh, Saranath outside Varanasi and finds his friends, and then he says, you know, this is what I've experienced, what we, I I found what we've been looking for, we've been looking for how to end suffering, how to experience awakening, liberation, freedom, and I found it first by turning towards the suffering, not ignoring it, and he uses the term dukkha, and I'm going to remind you about dukkha, because I'm going to and he says the cause of, of this word dukkha that we translate as suffering is tanha, is repetitive craving. And again, imagine he's sitting there, freshly enlightened, 34 years old, something like that, early 30s. His friends are there, just five of them, and they're sitting in the grass in the deer park, and he's giving them this you know, sharing with them and this kind of instructing them. And, and remember that they were initially hesitant. They didn't want to hit, listen to him because they thought he had sold out. Because they were practicing austerities, extreme fasting. And he had started eating yogurt and, you know, like uh, indulging in. Uh, sometimes there was a term, I think, that they said to him something like, you have reverted to luxury. Now he's still like skin and bones you know, like starving, but they're like, you're, you've been indulging in the luxury of yogurt. We don't even, we don't even want to talk to you. You are not down with us anymore, but they hesitantly listening because he's vibrant. He's, you know, he's this, he's something has shifted. And you know that when you can sort of see it in somebody and you're like, wow, like what happened? You are all of a sudden you're bright, you're happy. You're, you look free. I want what you have. Sometimes you just notice that in people's appearance, attitude, way of being. So they're listening to him and he says, well, there's the, the dukkha, the suffering of existence. There's the repetitive craving that causes suffering. And it's possible. He's like, I experienced it. We can get free. Nirvana, end of suffering. We can learn to remove ourselves from that which is burning us, the uh, Rope burns of clinging, the burns of, of anger, the, of, of hatred, of self centeredness. And so they're like, okay, we're with you, we're listening. And then there's this like, well, okay, how do we do it? We get it. There's suffering, there's the cause of suffering, there's the end of suffering. How do we get there? And he says, there's this eightfold path. There's eight areas of our life to pay attention to to focus on to develop now when you think of a path often we think of like even path is like walking like steps or you know like it's going somewhere it's like in one a direction path um, we call it the eightfold path but it's actually represented by the eight spoked wheel so think of a wheel I wish I had a Sometimes I wish I had a like um, more visuals, like some like a projector with like, and here's a wheel (laughs) with eight spokes. But just, you know, mentally think of like a a wheel. And at the center of the wheel, there's a a hub, right? Like a bicycle wheel, like there's a a wagon wheel or a car. There's a hub in order for the wheel to turn. But there's eight spokes. And the term dukkha means that there's an imbalance in the hub. And think of like duka, 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 right? Like if you had a wheel that like the, the some of the spokes were broken or non-existent or how it wouldn't roll smoothly. You wouldn't get like a a smooth, you'd get this like duka duka, duka. And the Duke, I forget the exact, but the translation of Duke, we call it suffering, but it's something about um, there's something broken in the hub. Like there's something uh, off in the hub. Uh, Jeff, you at one time had a really good translation. What was it? A dirty axle hole. It's a dirty axle hole.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, like if you're at, you know, if the, if the hub, the axle is dirty is all you know, Duke. Dukkha. The end of Dukkha is when it's a clean axle hole. (laughs) When it's every spoke is true. You know, the term true, which is appropriately tightened, not too tight, not too loose, not so tight that it breaks, not so loose that it's wobbly. So there's these eight spokes that we have to focus on. And he's telling his, his friends. And most of you are aware. Some of you might be pretty new, but um, the eight are understanding reality the way that it is. Understanding, knowing, uh, and and wisdom. Understanding reality. Um, thanks for coming. Good night. Safe travels. Understanding, intention, intent. Aligning our intentions with actions and. Understanding that are free from negativity, free from harmful karma producing intentions, free from greed, free from hatred, intentionally uh, acting and and showing up in our our life in a way that's free from greed, hatred, delusion, self-centeredness. Communication, right speech. And so the first two are wisdom, understanding and intention. The second three are ethics speech, action, livelihood, renouncing communications that are going to cause us harm. They're going to create negative karma for us. They're going to cause harm to someone else that is therefore going to have a karmically unwholesome fruit. Speech, action, actions, the five precepts. This is where the the first time the Buddha says, here's the five basic, the, the The least amount of renunciation that we need to have a a true uh, spoke of our actions is to become nonviolent, to not intentionally take life, to uh, be rigorously honest, both in what we say and what we do, not stealing, not taking anything that's not freely offered, not being dishonest. Now, Uh, being careful with sexuality. These guys are celibates. They've been celibate for a long time. They continued to just avoid sexuality. But the teaching as it develops and as he comes into contact with more householders, he says avoiding sexual misconduct, not engaging in inappropriate sexuality, but you don't have to be completely celibate was his teaching to householders. He said, and avoiding all forms of intoxication, all forms of recreational drug and alcohol use. He said, bringing mindfulness to our actions is going to necessitate a sober mind. And, you know, and this is a time where these guys are surrounded by a whole bunch of Shiva worshippers in the Hindu tradition, in the Indian tradition brahmanic hindu tradition there's a a a deep long ancient tradition of smoking weed and um they're like indian rastafarians worshiping shiva and weed is their meditation part of their meditative discipline is and so he's like you know and i'm so for sure, he had gotten high and drank, and was when you know, both when he was a householder and probably when he was an ascetic. He said, But this path, this mindfulness, we have to have a clear mind, we can't cloud our mind with alcohol or drugs or weed or anything because then you can't be fully present and choose how you're responding to each moment. So, the so, uh, ethics around speech, around action. Livelihood is in here, which, you know, makes sense for us householders. These guys, again, don't have jobs. they've got no livelihood. <laughs> They're wandering, homeless, mendicant spiritual monks. Um, but he includes, he says, you know, if you want to follow this path, you're going to have to be careful with your actions, including how you obtain a livelihood. the karma that you produce in the world, in work. And, and, um, and I love that, like for us, right, those of us who aren't going to be monks and nuns, it's so thorough. He's talking about sex. He's talking about money. He's talking about all of it as our practice, as our life, not kind of that you have to be celibate and forsake all sensuality and all money and He's saying you can do this mindfully if you engage in sexuality in a careful way and you engage in work and livelihood and money in a careful way and with awareness, with integrity. So the first two, we can break this down into, uh, it's called sila, samadhi, panya, ethics, uh, meditation, and wisdom, as I said at the beginning of class. The so livelihood, then effort, and he, he uses this term uh, virya, virya, which means it, it takes. There's this whole spoke of effort, and the effort that it takes to meditate, to train the mind, the effort. The uh, and virya translates as something like uh, a steadfast commitment or a, a vigorous energetic, striving. And so think about that. How vigorous are you with your spiritual practice? How casual is it? (laughs) You know, yeah, Mondays. I get get spiritual on Monday
1: nights.
0: (laughs) Or whenever it is, you know, a lot of people go to church on Sundays or whatever, you know, that kind of... He's saying, like, in this path, there's a vigorous effort necessary to go against the stream, to go against the normal greed, hatred, and delusion that we're all combating from the inside out. This human condition that lusts for pleasure that's not good at being cold, fucking hates it. That's not good at being hot, fucking hates that too. It's not good at experiencing... Uh, Difficult emotions, fear, uh, anger. Um, So this is this vigorous effort into mindfulness, to training the mind, to learning to both do mindfulness and concentration, the seventh and eighth factors. And that if we can bring uh, awareness to all of these areas, to our actions, to our speech, to our livelihood, to how much effort we're putting into mindfulness, concentration, our intentions, and our understanding, these eight spokes. So again, thinking of this wheel and that as we develop a balanced, uh, you know, appropriately tightened spoke, I am being honest in all of my affairs. I am being careful with my speech. I'm being careful with my uh, karma-producing activities around work, around sexuality, around, you know, and, and it's, it goes to every aspect of our life. Of course, there wasn't, you know, the kind of technology, we, we have all of these extra communication techniques with modern technology that every single uh, social media interaction is creating karma for us. It's not just the people that you run into in your daily life. Now you're sitting there talking shit to thousands of people and getting the karma for it, owning that criticism that you're putting out into the world owning that gossip that you're spreading, owning that whatever it is and creating karma for yourself and in probably a magnified way because now we're not just spreading it to one person. Now we're doing this thing that's multiplying our, our, our effect and the importance of bringing awareness to communication and to practicing some renunciation around, even just sharing our views and opinions. How, you know, like we have, we're in this time where you have to have an opinion about what's happening in Europe. You have to have a, a view and, you know, and you can only um, like people who share your views. Right? This kind of opposition that we're in where it's like, well, hey, if you're not as wise as I am, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you have to have, share my views and opinions and because mine are right. Got lost there a little bit. So the wheel, the eight, and and this. The hub, the axle appropriately greased, appropriately rolling, that nirvana we talked about last week, the potential of being able to roll through life, having a wheel that is true, that is not bent, that's not going dukkha, 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 but it's just smooth cruising. Like um, I've been doing a little bit of mountain biking. I just got a mountain bike and I got the full suspension so good <laughs> with the front shocks and the back. And you're just like, whoa, like, I'm not, this isn't bad at all. Uh, so different than like a rigid, like, wow, I'm fucking feeling every bump.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and this image of, you know, Duka when it's too rigid, it's too tight. And it's just, you know, and the, and the spokes aren't tight and it's clacking. And how often is our life like that? I'm just out of balance. And I'm, too stressed out, and I'm too uptight, and I'm too—I'm just judging everyone, and I'm judging myself, and and this potential of the eight folds, the eight-spoked path, bringing us to a place of like full suspension living, including going—you know—and it's not like it gets rid of all of the rocks in your path, but you just—yep, yeah, oh, yep. Yeah bump <laughs> yep there's another difficulty there's another you know ravine I need to jump over but now I have the capacity with the mindfulness with the forgiveness with the compassion with the tolerance that my spiritual practice has developed I can navigate the pain of existence and as I talked about last week the even enlightenment, doesn't get rid of the pain of existence. So he's reminding his friends, this isn't about avoidance of pain. It's about learning how to roll with it, to have this wheel where there's gonna be pain, there's joy, there's sorrow, there's praise, there's blame, there's gain, there's loss, there's fame, there's disrepute. Some are gonna love you, some are gonna hate you. You don't have to suffer about either One, if you are practicing renunciation around, you know, around your communication and around your actions and your livelihood, if you're not stuck in some delusion that there's a material solution, when you really wake up to there is no external refuge, It's only an internal refuge that we can truly find that this balanced middle path, balanced wheel is going to provide for us that the Dharma, our practice of the Eightfold Path, is going to give us the the full suspension. It's as good as it gets, it doesn't get rid of the speed bumps. Just allows you to be like, oh, not as bad as it would have been on a fixed gear. Rigid. <laughs> where you're feeling everything. It's like a chopper versus a bagger. Totally different experience on a rigid.
1: Oh God, I'm
0: feeling every fucking bump. So like, I'm just rolling with the reality of and no more dukkha 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 so we all have to and I'll, i'm going to i'll get into um, more deeply specifically unpacking what understanding means next week you know some of the the highlights of understanding is Um, maybe the main piece is understanding how karma works. Understanding how karma works and understanding the three characteristics. So next week we'll talk about uh, understanding dependent origination, the 12 links of dependent origination. This is how uh, we are constantly creating suffering for ourselves based on what happens. Based on when something pleasant happens and you cling to it, you create suffering for yourself. Clinging equals suffering. When something unpleasant happens and you reject it and you meet it with aversion and hatred and fear, you create suffering for yourself. There's that simple understanding. It's not what's happening that's making you unhappy. It's how you're relating to what's happening that's creating the suffering in your life, that it's actually possible to have full suspension through those difficulties rather than full rejection, rigidity, right? With what's happening of like, this isn't supposed to be like this. It's 2022, we're not supposed to have war in Europe. This is bullshit. I'm gonna let everybody know on Instagram. (laughs) I am against war. (laughs) This is bullshit. Fuck Putin. (laughs) <laughs> no compassion,
2: not worthy of compassion. It's evil.
0: I don't even mean to talk about that, but I hope it's a you know useful um, just to, for us all to reflect on how rigid we get. around being right and it's really hard when you are right because you're right you're right fuck war and ignorance and greed and atrocities uh are tragic and it's the planet that we live on and it's constantly happening and you know I don't know, my my initial, I don't, I I have have a sort of, um, I know I was trying to talk about karma and understanding, but I, my initial thought was, you know, there's always war on this planet. We've actually never had a time of peace. There's never been a period on this planet so far where there's not violent armed conflict somewhere. At one point a few years ago in a kind of, you know, Obama year peacetime, you know, I kind of looked at um, and it was like 20 something armed conflicts happening. Um, And there is something for us to look at how often, you know, this sort of white privilege, white blindness, whatever it is, where we ignore it when it's happening in Africa or it's happening in Palestine, you know, like where we, we just ignore what's happening a lot of the times. But then, like, this is in Europe. We're, we're, white folks, we got to talk about this. This is, you know, um, well, rather than like, this is fucking happening on the planet all of the time. I know this is maybe a larger scale or something like that, but um, the reality is we live on a planet of war. Human beings, uh, you know, there's something like, tens of thousands of children starving to death today and every single day, always on this planet. You know, and just opening to the reality is suffering. Dukkha is the reality on this planet. Greed, hatred, and delusion are running shit. Always have been. Always will be, probably. This is the Buddha's teaching. But that, and this is where the Eightfold Path comes in, is like suffering is normal. Greed, hatred, and delusion is normal. War, you know, uh, even in the Buddha's time, his people were at war. His whole family was murdered in war. but his internal wisdom, his internal compassion, his awakening was even that we don't have to suffer about. That's what's happening here. It can be met with compassion and forgiveness and, and acceptance and also engagement. You know, The Buddha was somebody who was an anti-war activist. He went out to the front lines at times to speak out against war and ignorance, violence, Sometimes put his own body on the front lines, but also wouldn't engage in any violence, total commitment to nonviolence. And when it came time to get out of the way and let the people go kill each other, he got out of the way and let the people go kill each other after speaking his truth. understanding that this is this helps me i don't know if this helps you it's it's kind of a bummer right it's like oh fuck this really we're gonna be honest about reality you know the buddha was like what is true here is understand that we live on a, a plane of existence that is ruled by greed hatred and delusion it's possible to get free from it but it's very uncommon. This term against the stream, against greed, against hatred, against the normal way of humanity, this path, this eightfold path. Dukkha is normal. Having a dirty axle, broken hubs, missing spokes is totally normal. Having a wheel with full suspension that rolls smoothly through the world is really rare and precious. Possible for all living beings? Very few of us do it, and find that all you know, like do all of it. Like I said, like the, at this point, there's millions and millions of Americans meditating on the on these apps. Mindfulness has become trendy. It's amazing. Mindfulness has become like a cool thing to do. Listen to your app for 10 minutes and get mindful, meditate. You know, a little bit like there's one spoke. You know, it's okay. You know, I, I was watching billions a while ago and these guys, right? Both the, the attorney general or whatever, who's supposed to be the good guy and the billionaire who's supposed to, they're both meditating as they lie and cheat and manipulate and destroy each other's lives as much as they can but they're doing a little bit of mindfulness to take off the edge. (laughs) Right. And it's like infiltrated. Like that's what's happening. People are doing a little bit of the seventh factor. They have like one spoke. Imagine trying to ride a bicycle with one spoke. Right. Or maybe you have two or three, you know, a little bit of, Integrity here and there, but not all eight. And the uh, path that the Buddha lies out for his friends, he said, there's these eight pieces, understanding reality as it is. Understand karma is everything. Karma rules everything around us. All of our intentional actions. because that's true our intentions are so important intentional action creates our reality our suspension our wheel Inten- you know being free from intentional greed intentional hatred intentional ill will being careful with our speech, our actions, our livelihood, putting a lot of effort into our meditation practice, mindfulness and concentration. I think that's as far as I wanna go with the overview and then I'm looking forward to getting into uh, more deeply investigating each factor of the path. Questions, comments, clarifications from anybody at home or in the room about the kind of overview of the Eightfold Path. Please,
2: where? Yeah, please.
0: Um, the question is, can, can somebody like actually reach en- enlightenment and then revert? Um, Buddhist perspective, no. If it's true enlightenment, nirvana, which means the extinction of the karma, you, you've, you've purified all of your karma, no more greed, no more hatred, no more delusion. Enlightenment is this sort of perfected relationship to not believing in the self as, as who we are, the mind, the body, if you've actually gotten there, you can't revert. You could get close, you could get um, a lot of insight, a lot of awareness, a lot of progress could be made, and then you could revert. But you've actually, sometimes the image of enlightenment is crossing over to the other shore. And that when you've crossed over to the other shore, um, you can't actually, it's a one-way Nirvana is a one-way trip. (laughs) Um, It's one of the reasons why in like Tibetan Buddhism, they created or, you know, in Mahayana, both in Tibetan and Mahayana Buddhism, Japanese, Koreans, and uh, this image of the Bodhisattva. And the Bodhisattva is uh, somebody who says, I'm going to postpone crossing over so that I can stay here to be of service. Because they know if I actually cross over, I can never come back. You know, the Buddha is free from reincarnation. You can't take another birth once you become a a Buddha. But you can get to the verge of it where you're like wise and you're compassionate and you're almost free. But you have to hold on to a little bit of attachment in order to say, I'm going to stay here to try to be of service. And there's something beautiful about that idea. But not all the way, and then back from Theravada and Buddhist perspective.
3: That's great. Yeah. Welcome.
0: I see a hand at home. Lee, jump in.
3: Hey Noah, thanks. Uh, thanks for the talk and Sangha and everyone. Um, I love this image of the wheel and the spokes. I. I feel like I've been navigating, and it kind of goes to your original question in our little breakout groups um, conversation, too. Been like navigating how to have compassion for the like bumpy s- spoke, the ride that's like when you feel like you kind of are having a flow and then suddenly you realize one of your spokes is like totally wrecked. I've just been, I wonder if you have any. Um, Suggestions for that, you know, it's obviously a huge Buddhist component of just the compassion piece of the, of the pain of, of that, but I, I just feel very attached to trying to get to that suspended area feeling and I'm like, I know it's not good to have that, <laughs> that attachment. Um, yeah, so if you have any ideas.
0: Could you mostly hear in the room question? yeah. The thought that comes to me is, you know, when we identify, like when we and I hear you and I and I know that this is true for you, that like you really want to get free. And so then when we see when we're where we're not free, rather than like using that as like, oh, I'm a bad Buddhist or I've been dishonest or I've been whatever it is of of, uh, trying to reframe it as like, oh, great. Now I know what needs to be done? Oh, there's a missing spoke. I haven't been being careful with my speech or I haven't been being careful with my sexuality or whatever it is. And then you can rectify it. And you can say, Oh, I need to focus in there. I want to be free. And this, you know, so it's like the humility comes, you know, my mind, it comes to humility to rather than humiliation or failure or whatever the judging mind wants to blame us with trying to reframe it as like, this is an opportunity to focus in on what's going to help me in suffering. I see that um, I need to be more careful with my relationship to money or my relationship to sexuality or speech or, or intoxicants. I mean, how many people find their way into our community because of addiction? And because of the suffering that addiction created in our lives and our total disregard for this fifth precept. And then we come in here and be like, oh, I need to be sober. And from a sober mind, I can be mindful. And from mindfulness, then I wake up to like, oh, shit, I'm a mess. I don't know how to tell the truth. I don't know how to not steal. I don't know how to not take everything personal. But I want to learn that. I want to learn to not take everything so personal. I want to learn to be rigorously honest in my communication and my behaviors and my activities. Um, I don't know if that helps or not, but uh, the bad news of kind of identifying like, oh, there's a loose spoke over here is like, okay, yeah, that's bad news. That's why there's so much dukkha. I'm really attached. That's why there's so much dukkha. Now I know what to do. I need to practice deep mindfulness that will lead to non-attachment. I see how angry I am, how much aversion, how much self-centered fear the mind is creating, how personal I'm taking that. Now I know what to do. Compassion, forgiveness, acceptance. I know where I can balance that, uh, you know, learning to, have a relationship to my mind rather than believing all of it. One of the brutal things I think about practicing Buddhism, and I feel like this is part of where Lee's question is coming from, and I say this a lot to those of you who are regulars, is that it's kind of brutal because you learn everything you need to know really early on. Like, Everything, like everything you need to know is right here in these like 30 pages. Like that's all of Buddhism. All of the important parts of Buddhism are right here. It's 30 pages. I read this book 30 years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, like seriously, like all of the shit we write about Buddhism in the kind of big books and the, the important shit is right here. It's 30, uh, it's 90 pages, excuse me, right here, less than 100 pages. And it's kind of brutal because you know, okay, non-attachment, compassion, don't take it personal, not self, everything's impermanent, everything's impersonal, right? Like, you know that, but you can't fucking do it. And it's sort of brutal. You're like, oh, there's these eight spokes, and I know the eight spokes, but I'm still exaggerating. I'm still minimizing. I'm still rationalizing. I'm still clinging still doing all of this stuff that I know is causing me suffering. And I want to stop doing it. And there's that sort of internal voice. That's like, let go forgive. But then there's that other voice that's stronger. That's like, go fuck yourself. I'm not letting go of shit. And it's a stronger, more powerful mind habit than that little bit of Buddhist, you know, kind of like non-attachment, bro. (laughs) Ajahn Chah, who I think is one of my favorite teachers and probably one of the most enlightened you know people in in kind of contemporary time and he's my teacher's teacher and I read at one point I was surprised to read this that he said um, 50 to 70% of the time, even for advanced practitioners, you know what to do, you know, to let go, you know, to forgive, you know, to, but you can't quite do it, you know, you, you know, you, it's, but then that's so brutal to be like, I want to stop. It's like it being an addiction, like that hungry ghost realm of addiction, We're like, I want to really stop this, but you just keep doing it. Russ said to me today, he said, I think everyone's addicted. And I was like, I don't know. But when it comes to our suffering, like we're all addicted to suffering. Like, why haven't we stopped yet? Why do we keep clinging and aversion and take all of these causes of suffering? It's like this repetitive dukkha. (laughs) You know, I know that these eight spokes need to be true. I've been trying to do it for 30 years, but I keep oh, that one's loose now, oh, that one's loose now, got to tighten that one, more meditation, more renunciation, <laughs> more service, more generosity, you know, it's just like this constant maintenance, I don't know if there's any like bike uh, mechanics here, but it's not like you get to just tighten your spokes once and then you're good, you tighten your spokes and then you go on one fucking bumpy ride and they all get loose and you got to constantly be re-tightening them, re-tightening them. Another hand at home, or no? Over this, did you? Oh, yeah, I was yeah, gonna ask do uh, it.
3: just about the, I guess, will uh, picture that you're painting. Um, if you know the spokes are broken and you have to do that, that's happening. I guess the fear is that you ramp it up too quickly and you're like, Yeah, I want to experience all the feedback, but I can do it, but you destroy your will, right? So like, what's the thought around that?
0: I don't know, but I like the image that you're using and that sort of in the question, which is like slow down. Don't rev it up, right? Don't try to go too quickly. One spoke at a time, one step at a time, one breath at a time, you know, one day at a time, this sort of like, we can't eradicate all of our suffering, you know, what we can do is this moment, mindfulness, present time, here, awareness, oh, my mind is encouraging me too. Do something unskillful right in this moment. I can practice renunciation from that. I can't stop lying for the rest of my life. I can't stop stealing. You know, it's like we can't do it in the future real fast, like, can't meditate real fast. We can just do it right here, right now, letting go. Right here, right now, accepting this pain that's present, trying to meet it with some compassion, with some forgiveness. It's a slow process. Uh, I'm often saying like, and I don't know how long it takes different. I might be a slow learner. I'm 30 something years in and I f- I know I have more work to do. And then I'm continual maintenance. Maybe some of you will get free much quicker <laughs> and maintain it much better than I have. I don't know. Um, but if you think about rebuilding that wheel, right? Like that is, Think of it as a five, 10-year process, not as a 90-day quick fix. Think of like, you know, in in this next decade, I'm going to really work on my mindfulness, my renunciation, my wisdom. I'm going to do it by getting on the cushion every day for at least 30 minutes. I'm going to do it by engaging with community at least once a week, hopefully more. I'm going to do it by going on some meditation retreats every year. I'm going to do it by uh, reminding myself of the five precepts every morning, right? Like you, so you put these practices into place and then you see like a year in, oh, yeah, it's, there's a, some strength here. Five years in, oh, yeah, more more solidity. Oh, This one's a little loose over here. I got a little complacent with my speech or with my action or with my meditation practice or 10 years in, oh, yeah, wow, like it's a lot different than it was 10 years ago. My meditation practice is more solid. My understanding is, my intentions, it's easier to be kind and honest and forgiving. 20 years in, wow, it's becoming more normal to meditate every day and to be of service and to be honest and to be generous. And it took decades to get there. Rather than Buddhism as this like tune up for the wheel, think of it as like over the next 10 years, your path, your practice, your inner life over the next 20 years. over the you know, Again, it comes back to just this moment. But just this moment, just this moment, just this moment long term is what creates the suspension, <laughs> creates the strong, true spokes. Cleans the axle hole. last one please
1: uh yeah i was wondering uh is there a reason for the like specific order Um, i don't think so procedural you know or
0: algorithmic i've heard some teachers and have been probably guilty myself of being like well when you understand then it corrects your intentions and then that leads to the renunciation and then But mindfulness doesn't come until number seven, if we do it in, you know, one through eight. Without mindfulness, you can't have any under true understanding. Without the seventh, you can't actually experience the first six. You have to, you know, it's one of the reasons why mindfulness has been so popular in Western neuroscience and because it fucking works and it leads, I'm not teasing you, maybe a little bit. But, you know, because mindfulness is that foundation that is connected. And that's why also the um, image of the wheel is better than an image of like rungs on a ladder or steps or stones on a path, because every spoke is connected. Any one spoke, dukkha. Any one spoke missing, dukkha. But it does feel like, I don't know if this is the right analogy, like the linchpin you know that in order for the you know the connecting the train cars of our you got to have mindfulness mindfulness isn't there you can't do the rest on some level or another so it's not 1 through 8 it's that's why the image of the wheel works much better than Okay, we'll leave it there for tonight. It is nine o'clock after nine o'clock. Class is done um, by donation. Against the Stream is a nonprofit organization committed to the Buddhist tradition of freely offering the teachings. And uh, we are supported by you freely making donations, making offerings to to us, to our community. Um, Suggested donation, excuse me is $15. If you can afford $15, please donate it. If you don't have that kind of money to donate, you're welcome to be here, regardless of ability to donate. Many people in the community become monthly donors to say like, hey, I want to support this, whether I'm showing up or not showing up. I just want against the stream to exist. So consider doing that. Um, there's a bowl for cash donations. And if you want to do uh, um online donations you can either go to the website or you can go to venmo or paypal and there's a uh, notice on the table there i think we need to print out one of those um you know q what are they called qr codes codes so that you can just be like there's the venmo Um, but thank you for your generosity at home the um donation thing is is linked in the chat thank you jeff and emily for your service good to see everybody many goodness that comes from our practice be shared outward in all directions. May each one of us get as free as we can in this lifetime. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks and see you next week. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.